All right. Hi, everybody. It's the top of the hour. We're going to go ahead and get started so everybody can get back to their dinner or maybe start their dinner a little bit earlier. So I'm going to go ahead and just kick us off with some housekeeping items. Um, good afternoon, everybody. My name is Paige Heitman, and welcome to the Scope at Night, a special edition of the Scope podcast. We're going to touch on just a couple of housekeeping items before we get started. First, the Zoom session will be recorded. Uh, we would like to know who everybody is, so please be sure that your name is accurate. If you need help with this, just reach out to us using the chat box feature. It's pretty easy. I'll be moderating the session with my self-self marketing colleague, Hillary McCash. Looks like she's already said hi in the chat box. So be sure to reach out to us if you need any help at all tonight. Um, we would love to see everybody's faces. If you feel comfortable doing so, go ahead and turn your video on. Please note that each of you are currently muted. If you have a question that pertains to the topic being discussed, go ahead and add it to the chat box and we'll try to get that question answered. You also can add comments in the chat box. One thing that I will note about the chat box is that you can send questions and comments to the whole group or just one person. We'd encourage you to send your comments to the whole group. However, um, because our topic this evening is STDs, if maybe you don't feel comfortable doing that, that's totally fine. You can send a private, uh, private message and we'll make sure that we get that question answered for you. We do wanna encourage everybody to utilize the reactions that Zoom offers during this discussion today. You can use a hand clap, thumbs up, thumbs down, et cetera, to let us know if you like, love, agree, or disagree with whatever we're discussing. Reactions can be found in two places, one either at the top or the bottom of your screen, and one that you'll see whenever you display the participant list. Also, if you're watching from our Facebook live stream, hello, uh, feel free to ask questions, comment, or show us emoticons during the conversation. We will be conducting a few polls and um, lucky everybody tonight, we're only doing one poll throughout this Zoom. So you'll get a chance to interact then if you choose. And of course, don't forget about the chat feature. Some of you might be using a mobile device while others of you might be using a laptop or maybe a computer. If you find that your features aren't the same or you're having trouble with something, just make sure that you can participate with us however you, you can and however you feel comfortable. If you do have issues with your sound, the Zoom meeting, or any other features, use the chat box and one of our moderators will be happy to assist. So all of that being said, I'd like to go ahead and introduce our two guests tonight, um, Dr. Nathan Ratchford, Chief Medical Officer of Phelps Health Hospital and a gynecologist with the Phelps Health Medical Group. Hey, Dr. Ratchford. And then we've also got Dr. Corey Offit. He is one of our primary care providers at Phelps Health as well. We're really excited to have both of you here. So just to kind of get us kicked off today, we are talking about STD, which is kind of a taboo topic, and we're super, super excited to have this conversation with everybody. So just to kick us off, what is an STD? Maybe uh, Dr. Ratchford, I'll kick that one to you. Sure. So um, so actually, the, the current nomenclature that we use for this is sexually transmitted infections. Um, it, it was STDs whenever I was in training, and I, I don't know when that changed, but we currently call it sexually transmitted infections. But uh, basically, these are typically uh, bacterial or viral infections that are passed with sexual intercourse. Uh, as we're going to discuss, you know, some of them uh, don't have any symptoms, some do, some can cause other health concerns. So uh, it, it's definitely, I know it's, um, I know it's a sensitive topic to discuss, but it's definitely an important one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally agree. Dr. Offit, uh, let's just move right along to question two. What are some of the most common STDs and their risks? So some of the most common STDs out there are gonna be gonorrhea and chlamydia are probably two of the more common. Um, and then genital herpes is also one of the more common ones. Um, and then I would say also HPV is a fairly common uh, STD as well. And that all of them can be tested for. 
um, which we'll get into later, um, but they all have their own unique risks. Some are curable, some are not. Um, some cause fertility issues. Uh, some of them can lead to certain types of cancers like with HPV can lead to cervical cancer. Um, and some of them are just extremely painful and can be spread more easily even whenever you don't have symptoms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Dr. Ratchford, anything to add to that? No, I think you covered it, yeah. Awesome. So question three, um, I love asking this question because I, I have a sibling who gets cold sores pretty often. Um, are cold sores an STD? Do you want to field that one, Dr. Ratchford, or do you want me to? Well, I don't know. Paige, do you want us to alternate back and forth? Are you going to call on us? How do you want to do this? Yeah, maybe let's just alternate back and forth. But um, if you guys have anything that maybe you want to add to whoever goes um, and answers that question, feel free. Okay. Well, so so cold sores are caused by um, an HSV virus. Um, so historically, we've thought of uh, HSV-1 as an oral virus that is passed with uh, skin-to-skin contact from one person to another. So we're talking about like kissing, for example. Uh, And then HSV-2 historically was thought of to cause um, similar lesions as what people are familiar with when they see cold sores on the mouth, but in the genital area. Um, you know, over time, uh, that distinction has become less important. And uh, to be frank, with modern sexual practices, uh, with skin-on-skin contact to different parts of the body, you can get HSV-1 or 2 in either of those areas. So, so uh, I, I would give this question a solid yes and no. Uh, it, it, it is a sexually transmitted infection in that it can be passed with um, sexual intercourse, but Uh, It doesn't necessarily require intercourse. It's really that skin-to-skin contact. Mm -hmm. So be careful when you're kissing is what I'm getting from that. Yeah, so so definitely when somebody has a cold sore, that's when they're most contagious. Uh, Their viral load is the highest, and and the lesion that you see on their lips is where the virus is actually at. But even when somebody doesn't have an active... uh, uh, herpes lesion, they can still be contagious. Their viral load is just a lot less. So, you know, definitely if you're somebody who is prone to getting cold sores and you are intimate with somebody who does not get cold sores or has never been exposed to HSV, you would definitely want to avoid that skin on skin contact when you actually have an active lesion. Great advice. Dr. Offit, anything to add to that? Um, one thing to also keep in mind is that you don't always have to have the active lesion. Um, sometimes you'll start to actually have symptoms prior to the lesion showing up and you are still very contagious during that period as well. Mm-hmm. What are some of those symptoms that you're, you're kind of talking about? Well, every patient's kind of different. Um, and so sometimes it can just be like a tingling sensation. Sometimes it can be a burning sensation. Um, sometimes it can even show up as like almost like what looks like a pimple um, on the lip uh, to start with. And then it breaks out into the more of the cold sore that we all have pretty much seen on multiple people whenever we're just walking around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Great, great information. So question four, Dr. Offit, this one's for you. How serious are STDs? Should someone be concerned if they have one? So let's say they, there's a person that has a cold sore and then maybe somebody who has something maybe a little bit more severe. So like you alluded to, there's various STDs and some of them are quite 
serious and some of them are not as serious, but they can all have their long-term complications um, that can be more permanent. Um, some of them are more permanent and some of them are curable. So like whenever, like with the cold sores and the genital herpes, those are lifelong. There's no actual cure for those, even though you can treat the acute symptoms and get them to go away quicker. Um, there's no actual cure for those. Um, now there are cures for gonorrhea, chlamydia and things like that, but those can, if left untreated or gone for a longer enough period of time can lead to infertility issues, pelvic inflammatory disease and things like that. Um, whereas like HIV, which is much more serious, it has no cure, but it can be easily treated. Um, and to where if you're on the proper medications, you can actually have a normal, a fairly normal long life, uh, with a normal life expectancy as well. Um, so it, it just depends on the sex specific sexually transmitted disease that you're talking about and, um, they, and whether you should be concerned or not. And so if you ever have any symptoms whatsoever, definitely need to talk to either your OBGYN or your primary care provider to get that evaluated and treated. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's fantastic. So question number five, Dr. Radford, how many people have STDs? Oh, I meant to look this up and I forgot beforehand. So I have it right in front of me, Dr. Ratchford. I'm going so to I'm gonna have to, okay, go back to I'm Dr. Have to Dr. Offit for a specific number. <laughs> so actually in the United States, one in five people per CDC uh, information um, actually has a sexually transmitted disease of some kind. So they're actually fairly common. Yeah, absolutely. And people, you know, you just don't realize it because it could be something really simple or maybe something a little bit more serious that has symptoms to it. So great information. I think that also kind of destigmatizes it as well because, you know, more people have it than we think they do. So the next question, Dr. Radford, we're going to try to bet this one to you. Um, is, it true that only people, <laughs> is it true that only people with a lot of sexual partners get STDs? No, that is definitely not true. Um, you know, certainly um, risky sexual behaviors uh, make it more likely for somebody to have a sexually transmitted infection. So uh, people that are exposed to more partners, uh, if you're not using protection like condoms, for example, your risk of transmitting or acquiring an STD from somebody is definitely going to be higher. But honestly, it, it just takes one, um, one exposure to acquire an STD. So. Mm -hmm. so definitely be careful. A couple of the things that I heard you mention in there that I think are important are Protection is really important. So making sure that you have condoms, making sure that you're protected, maybe even having a conversation with somebody who you might be sexually active with, or even kissing might even be worth just asking them. Sure. You know, I, I, I see a lot of, um, uh, as a gynecologist, I see a lot of adolescent women who um, frequently these are uh, younger gals that have not had intercourse for the first time yet. And the way I phrase it is, you know, I, I, I phrase it in terms of who they're sharing their body with. You know, uh, I, I frequently tell patients, you know, who you share your body with can have health implications for basically the rest of your life. And, um, uh, you know, we've all been there. Rel relationships are, uh, they can be tough sometimes. They can be interesting. And especially for teens, you know, the, the hormones are going and it, it feels like a, a natural thing. It's something they want to pursue, but um, you know, that, that frank discussion about, um, you know, the possible consequences from their actions, that's important for patients to hear. So, well, I, I agree. Dr. Offit, were you going to say something too? Yeah. And one thing that people really should keep in mind too, is oral sex can 
also be easily transmitted or it can easily transmit different STDs as well, including gonorrhea, chlamydia, and even genital herpes can be spread uh, via oral sex as well. So even using um, protection or barrier contraception of some kind um, during oral sex is extremely important in preventing. Mm -hmm. No, I think that's great advice. You know, I think we have to continue to have these conversations that way people, you know, even if they're younger people, they feel comfortable having these types of conversations with their partner in whatever format, you know, they, they choose. Question number seven, can a person have an STD and not know it? Dr. Offit will bet that to you. So a lot of STDs are actually asymptomatic. Um, so the most common asymptomatic STD that I could probably think of would probably be HPV. Um, there's really no symptoms of HPV um, until something happens and like if uh, a woman develops like cervical cancer or something like that. Um, so yes, you can have multiple STDs actually can be present without you having symptoms. Um, and you like, particularly in males, um, males a lot of times won't have any symptoms, um, whereas females are more likely to have symptoms of specifically certain ones, particularly gonorrhea and chlamydia are probably the more, two more common well-known, but then there's also like trichomonas um, that has pretty significant symptoms that a lot of women will have, but men won't have any symptoms of. What's the difference between men and women and their symptoms? Why, why is there a variance in that? So it depends on their physiology. Um, so women are constantly producing um, a lot more like cervical mucus, um, vaginal lubrication, things like that. And so, and then women also have, um, are more prone to have like pain and burning with urination just because of uh, anatomy with shorter urethras and stuff like that too. Yeah, great information. All right, we're just gonna move right along. Um, Dr. Radford, can a person contract an STD from a tattoo or maybe even a body piercing? Um, yeah, definitely you can. Uh, that's why it's important that if you're going to, um, you know, seek out a piercing or a tattoo, you want to go to a, um, a, a reputable location that's using um, sterile and safe practices. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love hearing you say that because I'm somebody that has a couple of tattoos. And one of the things I think is really important to know is if they're opening up stuff, make sure it's in front of you. So you know that it's fresh, it's clean, it's been sanitized. Don't let them do it in a back room where you don't know what's going on. Maybe all of it's just in a yeah. towel, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, to be honest with you, they're, they're piercing the, the barrier that you have with your skin. And, uh, you know, it'd be really no different than going to your doctor's office and, them giving you a you know a, a medicine or a vaccine of some kind you know you would you would expect you know sterile uh, precautions with that and this would be no different mm -hmm. absolutely moving right along question number nine what are the symptoms of std so dr F, I know you've kind of already spoken about this and alluded to it a little bit but let's talk just some more about what are some of those common symptoms that, that might prompt somebody to go and see the primary care provider yeah so um, going males versus females. So in males, in pain and burning with urination, redness around um, the urethra, um, urethral discharge is fairly common in a lot of the STDs in males as well. Um, if it's left untreated long enough, you can actually get uh, testicular pain um, and swelling as well, uh, leading to like epididymitis, which is a little bit harder to treat, but still very treatable depending on the STD that's causing it. Um, and then with females, uh, vaginal discharge, pain and burning with urination, um, sometimes vaginal bleeding, depending on the severity of the inflammation in the vagina as well. Um, and then different vaginal odors also, depending on which STD it is. Mm -hmm. 
So I'm gonna butcher this whenever I ask this questions, but um, can you explain in more detail what epididymitis is? So epididymitis is, so the epididymis is a small sac that sits on top of the testicle um, that kind of houses the sperm and things like that. And so in the seminal uh, fluid, and so basically the infection can get into the epididymis and cause inflammation and a lot of pain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that definitely sounds painful for sure. So question number 10, um, Dr. Rashford, how soon might symptoms of an STD appear? Uh, you know, it's going to be several days to weeks or months, to be honest with you. Um, you know, my, my general advice to patients when they might be um, like in a new relationship, they may, they may have a new partner is, um, you know, if, if somebody does have a new partner, there really shouldn't be any stigma around getting checked. Um, you know, depending on what the exposure was or if there's some specific concern, there may be more testing they would have to do down the road because like some of the viral infections like, um, you know, hepatitis C or HIV, for example, they, they might not actually show up on a blood test for months. But, um, you know, in general, if somebody had an exposure and they were concerned about something common, like um, we had mentioned chlamydia and gonorrhea earlier, those are actually checked with DNA probes, which are extremely sensitive. Um, you, you could test immediately for something like that, but somebody might not have symptoms for several days. Yeah, great information. So it's really important, again, like you said, to proactively have those conversations before you enter into any type of, uh, you know, physical stuff. So question 11, Dr. Offit, are most STDs treatable? And let's kind of dive into the details on that. So treatable, some are, some aren't. Uh, manageable, most are manageable. Um, but they may not be curable. Uh, so like Dr. Ratchford had said, uh, gonorrhea and chlamydia are both treatable and uh, curable, whereas uh, herpes, HIV are not curable, but they are manageable and can be uh, suppressed with different medications to where you won't be able to detect the virus or have outbreaks of like herpes and things like that. Um, there are actually now cures for hepatitis C, um, which is a huge breakthrough that's actually relatively recent. And, and I, by recent, I say in the last 10 to 15 years is recent in the medical field. Um, whereas now they're starting to hopefully find some potential cures for HIV as well. Um, but there are medications that you can use to suppress though, like the herpes virus, uh, to be able to suppress it to where you don't have frequent outbreaks and won't have such a high viral load to where you can spread it to others. Um, trichomonas is very treatable and curable. Um, trying to think of any others that are common that we see. Can you think of any others, Dr. Ratchford? Well, I was gonna say, I mean, syphilis isn't common anymore, but it's treatable as well, so. We're actually seeing more syphilis recently because uh, penicillins aren't used as commonly anymore for like ear infections and strep and stuff anymore. And so people were incidentally getting treated uh, with uh, penicillins for a long time whenever amoxicillin was so readily prescribed and penicillin was so readily prescribed. Um, and so people were just having their syphilis treated without knowing it because they never, they may never have been symptomatic. Hmm. Well, uh, you know, again, to me, I'm like, that's a good reason to go in and see your primary care provider. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Question number 12, do STDs cause infertility and which ones maybe cause it? What are the levels of infertility, Dr. Ratchford? Yeah. So, um, uh, I can't speak for males, uh, but for women, uh, the big point is going to be untreated chlamydia and gonorrhea infections, especially 
if someone has an infection that leads to what's called pelvic inflammatory disease or PID, which is basically where um, it's, in, it's in an infected fluid collection involving the fallopian tubes. Uh, so it's the upper genital tract in a woman. And, um, you know, the, the damage, the inflammation, the scarring that you can get from that can damage the fallopian tubes, which can lead to infertility. All right, moving right along to question number 13. If someone has an STD and they're pregnant, how will the fetus be affected? Dr. Radford, we might bat that one to I, you. I, I can speak to this one. So, <laughs> so, so for- Hey, I used to do obstetrics um, too. Yeah, so, so for, um, so for most women that are, um, that acquire an STD during pregnancy, uh, the overwhelming majority have a healthy, normal pregnancy. Um, however, certain infections, especially the viral infections, can cause severe issues with pregnancy, um, especially if it's in the second trimester. It can cause things like um, fetal demise and birth defects and things like that. So um, part, part of routine care uh, for obstetrical patients is actually to do an STD screen as part of the new OB visit. And then, um, you know, definitely for somebody who's pregnant and is concerned that they might have been exposed, there, there's no harm at all in repeating that. So I, I would definitely encourage somebody to speak to their uh, OB provider if that's a concern. And kind of adding to that too, um, towards the end of pregnancy as well, if they've had a history of herpes and things like that too, going on prophylactic medicines uh, to hopefully prevent an outbreak. Uh, because if you have active lesions, whenever you deliver vaginally, um, you can transmit it to baby. And I've actually seen somebody transmit herpes to a baby and the baby ended up with um, herpes meningitis right after birth. Wow. Holy smoke. So we did have a question come through during that time that I think is kind of a, a good segue before we continue on with our questions. If um, someone has HPV, does that affect their ability to become pregnant or does that affect the fetus at all? Not directly like um, what Dr. Offit was talking about with herpes. Um, if, if someone does have HPV that um, has caused them to have um, like an overwhelming burden of genital warts, uh, that can cause an issue with like um, either blocking the birth canal or uh, if it's on their cervix, like with their cervix dilating, just the... Um, just the structural changes in their cervix. And then um, HPV can also cause uh, abnormal cervical cells and even cervical cancer, like what Dr. Offit had said earlier. And so, um, you know, it's important for women that are pregnant to be up to date on their cervical screening because if somebody had uh, a cervical lesion like that, that could also cause issues with pregnancy. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for taking the time to answer that. So moving right along, when should someone visit a doctor if they're concerned that they might have an ST? Dr. Offit will bet that to you. I know you've already kind of talked about that. As soon as possible, um, particularly with herpes. Um, if you think you might have herpes, or even if you know you have a history of herpes and have a herpes outbreak, usually you have to start on the medications to reduce the outbreak within 48 hours of onset of symptoms. Um, and that's even if you have like the pre-symptoms of like the tingling and things like that, um, you can actually get started on the medications then um, before and hopefully even prevent the outbreak. Um, 
I always recommend anybody that is sexually active to actually get routine screening um, if they're having more high risk behaviors. Um, so if they're having multiple sexual partners, not using protection, things like that. Now, if you're in a monogamous relationship and you've been had your testing at the start of your relationship and both of you are monogamous, that's perfectly fine um, to not get yearly testing at that point or regular routine testing at that point. But if you're having multiple partners without protection and things like that, then I generally recommend routine screening. Dr. Offit, one of the questions that came in whenever you were kind of talking about regular screenings is how often should somebody who is um, sexually active with lots of different partners, how often should they go in and get screened? Whenever you say routinely, what do you mean? So again, it depends on the behaviors and how many partners, how frequent, like you're changing partners, oh, sorry, um, and things like that. Um, and then if you have a partner that has come to you that said that they had a previous or had a positive test or something like, um, like if they came back and said, Hey, I had chlamydia, I test positive for chlamydia. Obviously you should get in and get tested and treated appropriately. Um, so it depends on the person. Um, I've had some people come in every six months to get tested because they're having regular frequent, uh, different partners. And then I've had some people who will get tested just yearly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Great information. So another question that I have before we move on is, let's say this person doesn't have like a PCP established, can they just go into immediate care every time they want to get tested? Or should they really establish primary care to kind of begin that process? I always recommend having a primary care, particularly anymore, especially with like all the COVID stuff and everything, because there were so many ERs and urgent cares and immediate cares just being overrun. Um, and having four and five, six hour waits at times, just because there weren't enough providers and nurses to manage the patient load. Um, but then having that follow-up for the repeat testing to make sure everything's cleared up is super important as well. And so that's where the primary care comes into play or uh, addressing any complications also, or even long-term suppression and management. Yeah, that's great information. Thanks so much for answering that. So moving right along, um, Dr. Rashford, question number 16, do primary care doctors automatically screen or test for STDs at an annual wellness appointment? And I know I batted this to you, but Dr. Offit might actually be a better fit since he is a PCP. Well, I'll be curious what he'll say, but I'll, I'll answer it too. After <laughs> so we ask about it at the annual wellness appointments, if any concerns for any STDs or anything like that, um, and if they're having any risky sexual behaviors. But otherwise, we don't routinely screen um, other than just asking for it to see if uh, we need to go ahead and do testing for it or even recommend testing. Because all we can do is make recommendations. We can't actually make anybody do any particular screening. Mm-hmm. Dr. Roger. Yeah, I would agree. You know, I, I, I think that asking about a patient's sexual behavior and kind of assessing those risk factors, that's, that's just due diligence. But I don't think that a, a patient should automatically anticipate that when they go in for their regular yearly checkup, which um, may or may not involve a genital exam, it just kind of depends on their age and what's going on. But um, if, if, if they have an expectation that they're being tested for uh, a sexually transmitted infection, uh, they really need to come out and ask that to make sure that that's being done. And I would say the only one that we probably routinely do would be the HPV testing, which is just general PAP guidelines and everything. Mm-hmm. Great. Fantastic. Thanks, guys. We'll move right along. Question number 17. Are STD appointments with the doctor confidential? 
So Dr. Rashford? Yeah, I mean, every visit is confidential. Um, you know, certainly, you know, trying to get away from the stigma of talking about sexually transmitted infections. Um, you know, for anybody out there who's concerned about that, there is nothing that your doctor has not heard before. Uh, no one is going to be, uh, you know, talking about you or gossiping about this. Uh, you know, I, I can tell you from my personal experience that um, if, if one of my patients I've known for years, if somebody who just came in off the street, if somebody came in uh, requesting to be uh, evaluated for a sexually transmitted infection or even talk about risk, uh, that's part of my job. You know, it, it, someone should have confidence that uh, they're going to be treated with respect and uh, it'll be a confidential discussion. And I'll add to that too. Um, teenagers are probably one of the higher risk groups that are not likely to seek care because a lot of teenagers won't have those safe home environments to be able to come to their parents, to come to the doctors. And even those visits um, are actually kept confidential. And if the teens decide that they don't want their parents to know about that visit, we actually can't divulge that information to the parents either. Um, if the, the, the team specifically requests us not to. Yeah, that's fantastic. I think that's really great information and kind of a good resource to know about. So question number 18, let's say that somebody does want to come in. Maybe they even just like walk up, walk in off the street. What should they expect if they need to get tested for an STD? What does that process look like? So basically like a normal office visit, they will go through all the questions and everything else to figure out like what kind of uh, risky behaviors they're having, what symptoms they're having, why they're concerned about potentially having an STD. Um, if they've been told that they've uh, been exposed to a specific STD that kind of helps on some things, but then a lot of times they'll just want to be kind of globally tested for all of the more common STDs. Um, so some of those would be a blood test like with HIV and hepatitis. Some of those will be um, most of them anymore can actually be a urine test with the exception of the HPV testing. Um, so with gonorrhea, chlamydia, and trichomonas, those can all be uh, tested off of the urine. Um, and so it just depends on what we're testing and kind of the um, depth of testing that we're doing. Mm -hmm. So this next question, Dr. Rathard, I think is a perfect segue. So what happens if a person tests positive for STD? What, where does that discussion then lead to? Uh, well, kind of going back to what we've discussed before, I mean, it, it, it's really going to depend on what the STD is. Um, if, it, if it's something common and treatable, like chlamydia or gonorrhea, uh, they should expect to have a uh, prescription for some antibiotics that they're going to get. And then, uh, you know, there may be some follow-up discussion about, you know, getting a partner or partners treated, that kind of thing. But if it's something like um, we've talked about HPV, for example, with pap smears, um, a lot of times those things require further testing to check for like abnormal cervical cells. Um, another thing that needs to be discussed is, uh, you know, if that person's contagious. So we've talked about, you know, herpes lesions and how somebody might be contagious, even if they don't have an active lesion. Well, there's, there's medicine that people can take to suppress uh, the recurrence of outbreaks of those lesions. It also makes it less likely for them to uh, transmit the virus to a partner, for example. It really, um, you know, there's really no one size fits all. It kind of depends on what the actual infection is and uh, what the patient's, um, 
you know, expected outcomes and what the relationship might be. Absolutely. So Dr. Affa, I'm going to bat this next question to you. I love this question. Why are STDs not something to be ashamed of? Just because they're so common. And so people, I really wish would just get rid of the stigma. I mean, it's no different than any other um, disease that you can acquire. Um, and there's just such a big stigma around them. But I mean, STDs are part of just human life in general, like a large majority of the people out there are having like are having sex or will have sex at some point in their life. And so one in five Americans, I mean, that's a pretty high amount of people that actually have an active STD, um, most a lot of them which don't even know it. And so just getting rid of that stigma, we could easily reduce that number. Um, and if people would just be more open and have a conversation with their partners about any STDs that they have to where they can take the proper precautions to hopefully prevent that transmission, it would help significantly and allow people to get treated. Mm-hmm. So kind you know, of, I, think, oh, go ahead. I, I was just going to add too. I, I agree with everything Dr. Offit just said. And I'd like to add that um, these infections, uh, they don't care about your age or your gender or your sexual practices or your race or you know anything that you could think of. Um, you know, these infections can really affect anyone. So uh, again, I mean, stigma is the right word for it. We really need to get away from that. Mm-hmm. No, I love that. So in the sphere of destigmatizing, you know, these types of conversations, you guys have mentioned a few different times throughout um, the show tonight, risky behavior. So let's define what are those risky behaviors? Is it the, the type of sex that you're having? Is it just the frequency of partners? What do you mean whenever you say risky behaviors? So one would just be not having that conversation with your partner. Um, so if you are not having those conversations, you're not asking, hey, have you ever had any STDs or do you have any symptoms? Um, that alone puts you at risk um, if you're not willing to have that conversation. And then frequent sexual partners, um, the, uh, not using protection, things like that are all very high risk behaviors. Um Dr. Ratcher, do you have anything else to add on that? I mean, I guess that's kind of a very short answer. No, I, I would agree with that. I mean, basically, it's the, the more partners you have not using protection. And, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a sad commentary. And there's actually been criminal cases with this. But there's, you know, there's people out there that have infections that intentionally have unprotected intercourse to get other people infected. So, um, you know, all these would be, all of these would fall under the umbrella of risky behaviors. Absolutely. Thanks so much for answering that question. So we've got one more question before we kind of wrap up. How can someone avoid getting an STD? Because, you know, people aren't going to avoid having sex, but what are the, some of the things that they can do that are preventative? Basically avoid those risky behaviors. Um, I mean, use, <laughs> have those conversations, use condoms, use any kind of barrier contraception. Um, I mean, the most definitive way would be to avoid sexual activity, but like you said, humans aren't going to do that. Um, and so just basically keeping yourself as low risk as possible, um, to reduce that risk of acquiring an STD. And and I would also add, if you are in a new relationship and you have a new partner, don't be afraid to get tested. You know, it's not, um, it's not something that, um, uh, should be viewed as a negative, uh, thing to do. And it's not, you know, pointing fingers or accusing your partner. You know, I, I tell patients all the time, you know, nobody's going to watch out after your health better than you. And, um, you know, staying informed and getting testing appropriate like that, that's, 
that's going to help protect you. So, and I've even had partners actually come in together and have both mm -hmm. of them have an appointment at the same time, just to they can both get tested simultaneously. I think that's fantastic. I think we should give out stickers for that. That's awesome. Right. I mean, I don't know what kind of sticker you'd give out, but <laughs> I'm just throwing it out there. All right, guys. Uh, that's something for marketing to work on. Yes. Uh -huh. Yeah. We'll we'll get right on that. So we do have one polling question before we uh, wrap up. Oh, let's see. Oh gosh, it looks like it may not um, let me launch the polling question. So sorry, everybody, we don't have a polling question today. <laughs> so we will just go ahead and wrap up. We've already kind of discussed some of our participant questions um, throughout our show tonight. So we don't have any additional ones outside of the ones that we've already asked. So we'll just go ahead and say thank you so much to everyone for tuning in to the Scope at Night. A huge thank you for um, Dr. Rashford and Dr. Offit for joining us today to kind of talk about this taboo topic. Um, we do appreciate all of the insight that each of you have been able to share with our community. Um, as a reminder, this show has been recorded and will be emailed to all participants. It also can be rewatched on our Facebook page and shared with family and friends who may have missed the show. If you like this show and would like to know more, check out our other episodes of The Scope on YouTube or visit selfshelp.org. Have a great evening, everyone. Thanks so much. Hey, Paige. Hey, Paige. Hey, sorry to interrupt your closing. I, I thought you might ask for like any additional thoughts before we finish, but we left out one really important thing earlier when we were talking about HPV, which right. is H, which is HPV vaccination. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so male and female patients older than age nine, there has been vaccination in place for HPV uh, since the late two thousands, and um, you know definitely, I mean. I'm sure Dr. Offit gets this more than I do, but uh, unfortunately vaccinations are kind of a political topic off and on, but um, you know, definitely HPV, uh, in addition to everything that we've talked about so far, uh, it's the type of infection that is preventable with a vaccination. So uh, I would definitely encourage men and women to seek that out if it's appropriate. So, sorry. And if the, if the HPV vaccine is actually given under the age of 14, then it's actually only a two-dose series instead of a three-dose series. Um, Australia actually is interesting. Um, they actually implemented it as one of the mandated vaccines, and they've almost completely eradicated cervical cancer in their entire country. Yeah. yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Oh. I love that Hillary put HPV uh, vaccination information in the chat for everybody. So feel free to grab that, to share that as well. Um, thank you so much for mentioning that. That's that's a great Sorry. Point. Yeah, no, I was waiting no, for an sorry. opportunity to bring it up because we, we <laughs> talked about HPV like several questions ago yeah. and I'm like, oh, we should have said that. And so. And I never gave you the opportunity. I'm a terrible It's host. okay. It's okay. <laughs> Thanks, Paige. Right. Thanks, everybody. Have a good evening.